I'm Nick Harvey-Doyle, a Ngunnawan man from the northern tablelands of New South Wales. The Yarn podcast is made on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong people. We'd like to acknowledge First Nations people as the first storytellers. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. From the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, this is The Yarn. I'm Thomas Phillips. When we encounter unexpected information, our brains enter what psychologists call the surprise sequence. Whether positive or negative, the sequence begins with a state of heightened emotions and extreme curiosity. After this, our points of view shift to make sense of a new reality sometimes fundamentally. This week, we're bringing you three stories about being humbled by new information and fresh perspectives. It's the third episode of Dark Batters, a series about the fundamental essence of life and how so much of it remains a mystery to us. These stories were produced in collaboration with all the best mentors for the Science Gallery's new show, Dark Batters. The exhibition is open now and includes a listing station where you can hear work from our students. First up, Timothy Ebbets on the confronting history of Melbourne sanitation that nobody seems to know about, and how this dark past is a present-day reality in Mozambique. Melbourne's many lanes are famous for their street art, outdoor dining, and tiny cafes, bars, and restaurants often only squeezing a handful of patrons into a space smaller than some bathrooms. But it wasn't always this way, and the lanes that tourists and locals alike flock to have a past that is little known about, and that few want to discuss. I was wondering if you know what Melbourne's laneways were originally used for in the 1800s? have no idea. I haven't got clue. What noise you are. I don't know. I do not. So one of the main things they were used for is the night cart, which is a horse-drawn carriage that travelled around the lanes at night and emptied people's toilets before they developed sewer lines. That's something that most weren't comfortable talking about. Empty people's toilets? So, I don't know what to talk. Okay. As cities like Melbourne developed, they needed a way to deal with human waste. That was done through employing nightmen to operate the horse-drawn night carts. In nearby Ballarat, the tourist attraction and open-air museum Sovereign Hill carries echoes of that past into the present, as actors play out the dramas of an 1850s gold mining town. Well, there you are, Mr Gardner. It's, it's imperative, sir. I've got you out today to clean out the cesspool at the rear of the Davison's property. I spoke sir. to Mr Gardner, Sovereign Hill's nightman, about his role in this 19th century town. What exactly does a nightman do? Uh, so I go around uh, on a night mostly. Uh, but I go around and I, uh, I clean out all the uh, cesspits, shall we say, the uh, the long drops, the outhouses. What does that involve, cleaning out an outhouse, and where does that go? What happens is I get these big buckets that I carry on my head, um, so I stick them next to the, uh, the cesspit, get my shovel, so sometimes I've got to jump down into the long drop, um, empty that out into my bucket, then I stick the bucket on my head, take it to my cart, and then when my night cart's full, I then take it out to the farms round and about. They take it and spread it all over their fields. Why is that important? What happens if you don't have someone like yourself to do this job? Well, if you leave it to pile up too much, it starts to overflow and then it starts to leak out everywhere and then you start getting all sorts of diseases, typhoid, dysentery, cholera. Mr Gardner, virtually every member of this unfortunate house has been struck down with typhoid. Typhoid? Well, there's, there's a cause for alarm, sir. But 
if something isn't done about... As gold was found in Victoria and the population of Melbourne grew, the problems grew with it. A better solution was needed, and something resembling our modern system was finally installed, with Melbourne's first sewerage pumping station opening in Spotswood in 1898. Now it's something that we don't need, or like, to think about much anymore. We just flush, and the problem disappears. But that privilege of flushing and forgetting is still not true for much of the world. To find out what problems are still being faced today, I spoke to Charmaine Consol Gonzalvish, the head of programs for WaterAid in Mozambique. You can't just improve access to water or improve access to decent sanitation if you're not practicing good hygiene or you don't have a toilet. For us, it's a holistic approach to what we call WASH, water, sanitation and hygiene. We're getting over a major cholera outbreak here in the country. To make toilets safe, the holes dug for them need to be reinforced. Most families can't afford that. In some areas, we've got very, very sandy soil. So in the wet season, when we get the rains and the floods and the cyclones, a lot of the toilets collapse and then the water table becomes contaminated. That's how we got our cholera outbreak this year. The United Nations has a number of sustainable development goals which are due to be completed by 2030. But at least with sanitation, that's looking unlikely. Are they on target to achieve the sanitation goals? Nationally, only 37% have a toilet. We're in 2023, we've got seven years left, and we're a long way off. Those problems extend far beyond Mozambique, with the United Nations stating that 2.5 billion people worldwide do not have adequate toilets, and 1 billion defecate in the open, putting them in danger of deadly diseases like diarrhoea. More than a quarter of a million children die each year due to unsafe water and sanitation. Diarrhoea is still, in Mozambique, it's still the most likely cause of uh, mortality in children under five. It's a continuation of the same story we saw playing out 170 years before. The child at three has succumbed to this disease and the six-year-old is gravely ill. Something must be done. Now you listen to me, doctor. Children die all the time. Isn't that just a part of life? We can change it, madam. You know, there's a whole another aspect around what we call fecal sludge management. Once you have a toilet, <laughs> how do you empty it, right? You've got your sanitation workers that you have who, like you said, back in the 1800s, went around emptying those toilets. That's still going on in, in lots of parts of the world. In crowded slum areas, informal sediments, we've actually done some work here in Mozambique designing technologies to get into those really difficult laneways. For decades, Melbourne's lanes were forgotten about and neglected, before a revitalisation movement starting in the 90s sought to bring new life to places with a dark and odorous past. People don't like to talk about that past now, but when the challenges of yesterday are still being faced in Mozambique and elsewhere around the world, it's worth remembering where we've come from and how much work is still to be done. That was Timothy Everts. Next, Chang Yun Su interviews Sarah Chan, a Taiwanese international student who overcame culture shock to establish a successful business in an unfamiliar country. Every time I light up the candle, it is like a company for me. And you can see the lights moving a little bit, and it's just like they are waving to you. You are not alone, and it could give you some hope and courage, especially you are frustrated on something very challenging. More than 4,000 jobs were lost. Female office workers are among those whose jobs are being taken over. As people are struggling to face skyrocketing costs of living and the fear of being replaced by the latest AI technology, 
Sarah found a way to break through all the obstacles and make her strength shine in the dark time. I think the culture and language are the major barriers to find a job in Australia. Also, the new era of AI totally changed the demand for the jobs, such as the copywriting. I think the best way to show the ability of my marketing skill is to put the theory into practice. Creating an independent scented candles brand in Melbourne is a way Sarah found to conquer all the barriers in a country far from her home. However, it's never an easy thing for her to bring the light into the darkness. To set up a business in an unfamiliar place, the legal issue is the first problem Sarah faced. Some issue relevant to law, finance, taxation, and accounting must be understood by myself. It's quite difficult for me. Senior accountant Jasper Chow. Also explain that the tax scheme for a sole trader might be a little bit different from being an employee. I think the main tax issue will be he or she will be taxed at their marginal tax rate, which means they may pay higher tax than if they ever gonna carry out their business in a different structure. Jasper further mentioned that the better way to reduce the income tax burden is to register the brand as a company. Which may be classified as a small business and be entitled to reduce the tax rate, which is twenty-five percent. However, besides the income tax issue, Sarah also faced another trouble while developing her scented candles. I found that I do not know how to import the chemical liquids into Australia because some raw material have to be imported from overseas. And I went to the air tasker to find the expert, but unfortunately, I was scammed of money. I lose the money. It was one thousand dollars that Sarah lost due to a scam on a digital tax service platform. Losing money was not the only dark thing Sarah went through before really setting up her own candles business. One of the most challenging problem for me is the uneven surface of the candle. I just tried a lot of times to fix with this problem because basically, when the wax melting, they will start become solid from the outer and in the center. So that will probably make the hole in the center. The little technical issue did not make Sarah give up her plan. Instead, the relentless practice turned her into a qualified candle designer. You just got to know and try as much as time as you can because I have tried over fifty times for the candle testing, and then after many failures, you will got which temperature is right to pour in and when to refill, and any details you will find from your mistakes. After conquering all the difficulties, Sarah finally lighted up her shopboard in the darkness. The name of Nuan Nuan means warm in Chinese, and that is why I decided to name it as Nuan Nuan Oriental. And for our container, I choose the traditional Chinese teaware because I think it's a cultural expansion of Asian culture. Sarah tried to combine Asian culture in every detail of her brand, including the ingredients of each candle. Such as the candle named Exotic Woods, it's blended with multiple scents of wood, including a tree from her hometown, Taiwan Red Cypress. The woody scents could remind the Asian people about our beliefs. It's like you went to the temple, you could smell the sandalwood and argilwood. When you face some challenges, you will go to the temple. It's our culture, so this scent just like a reminder for calm and peace. For Sarah. Language might be a barrier, but the scent of candles can help her overcome this barrier and make more people understand Asian culture. 
After conquering all the obstacles to launch the independent candles business, Sarah said, "It's important to recognize and show our own values while facing new challenges in dark times." That was Chang Yunsu. In our last story, Philman Ho broadens his perspective by learning about astrology. While astrology in itself is new by any means, it's hard to deny how pervasive it has become on TikTok. Did you know the opposite of your rising you sign? Your sun, sun, moon, the debate about whether astrology is a fad or genuine form of higher knowledge has been going on for years, but many astrophysicists say it's pseudoscience. But what if we cast our doubts and skepticism aside and listen to what astrologers have to say? The Vedic astrology is teaching us those ways of how we were before there was any trauma or any any of this pain that we've attached to our ego self and to our soul self. That was my friend Lakna Pereira, who practices Vedic astrology or Jyotish, a Sanskrit word that refers to light or heavenly body in Hinduism. It's just very ancient. Knowing of time known as the Golden Age, where there was no fear or greed or all of like anger, all of these things that we're experiencing right now. However, before we dove too deep into the conversation, I asked Lakna how she started out in astrology. I grew up always being really spiritual. I was always really intrigued by all of the planets and all of the solar system, the stars in Sri Lanka. Like I was born there, the culture, like so many little things in life. We'd look into the stars to see if it's a good time. My grandma did. Teach me a lot about that stuff.、Um, she was very passionate about astrology. I was interested in finding out how her grandmother shaped her astrology practice. I thought that astrology was, you know, what we learn is like reading、um, the planets and the aspects and how they connect to us. But Vedic astrology, what she's taught me is that it's so much more than that. It's like the whole connection to our body, to the earth, to the stars, to nature. It's a very holistic approach, and realizing that we are all one, we are all connected. That is all astrology as well. Lakna told me that astrology has helped her through some pretty dark times in her life. So definitely, the last few years, I've gone through some very significant events. Got divorced. My best friend died. Realizing deep-seated issues with my family. All of these things, honestly, astrology has helped me through so much because it's just helped me to realize that this is a part of my purpose. And in astrology, there's different houses which tell you what sort of themes are going to play out、um, in your life. For me, a huge theme in my life with the twelfth house is death and connection to other realms, con- connection to the spiritual and the unseen. And I believe that's why my best friend like had to pass very young.、Um, and I feel more connected to her than I have ever been. Learning about astrology has helped me realize like this is part of my gifts, like being able to connect in that way and a part of my purpose. Interestingly, ancient Vedic scriptures such as the Lakshmi Tantra, dedicated to the worship of the goddess herself, have acknowledged the existence of what scientists today describe as dark matter and energy. In order to fill the vast void of the universe. With myself, I assumed another form, namely consisting of only tamas, dark energy, or the quality or stuff of darkness. What、um, Goddess Lakshmi is saying that in order for her to fill the universe, she had to become dark matter. And Goddess Lakshmi in astrology is the ruler of 
the planet Venus, so she had to fill the entire universe firstly with that tamas energy, which is known to be inactivity, greed, lust, money, all of the selfish desires. Ultimately, is the teachings of Venus, which is to love everything, to love nature, to love others. In order to do that, you need to be selfish first, and you need to love yourself first. Then a question was nagging at me: How does the idea of dark matter look like in our everyday lives? A really good example is reading someone's birth chart. Your birth chart is like the map to your life. There's a lot of different pathways you can take. That's not one set in stone, but there will always be these things that come up, these things that are difficult and that hurt you or that like steer you off track, or those they seem to steer you off track. And these are invisible. Forces of energy that all working out in our favor to help us grow, to help us evolve. But yes, this is the dark matter that、um, Joytish speaks of. After I finished my conversation with Lakna, I realized that it doesn't matter if you're a believer of astrology or not. But these are valuable teachings from ancient paths we can impart in our daily lives. That the challenges we face in our journey shape us to become who we want to be. After all, what's wrong with looking at the stars to remind us that we have the power to carve our own destinies? That was Phil Minho. A massive thank you to mentors Mel Chun, Ollie Krusek, Dan Simo, and Sammy Shah for their help on these stories. The yarn is from the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. It's produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. This episode was produced and edited by me. It was mastered by Elliot Rodriguez. Our executive producer is Louisa Lim. I'm Thomas Phillips. See you next week.